Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the RIA podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Jeff Sardi, CEO of MartinCapital.com. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Seth. Really looking forward to this. All right. Let's go back in time a little bit because you have had different roles throughout your career. How'd you get started? Uh, it was a long and windy path, so I'll try and be quick. I was actually uh, pre-med in college, uh, but as I was interviewing at different med schools, I hit the panic button and really just decided not to go. Long story short on that, I'm not a fan of blood and hospitals. I guess I don't have the constitution for that. Um, but also I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I decided to shift course. And then in my early mid twenties, I had a bunch of different jobs, really in all honesty, trying to figure things out, trying to find my passion. Uh, but finally ended up in wealth management in the late 1990s and um, feel lucky after that soul searching in my twenties to be at a place in my career where I can, where I can honestly say I really love what I do and look forward to coming to work every day. All right. So let's dive in a little bit where before you've worked at a number of different firms, including a hedge fund that specialized in volatility and options trading strategies. You're also a CFA and an MBA. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the journey there? Yeah. Um, you did your homework, Seth. You, you, you looked into my background. I appreciate that. Um, was always interested in the markets and worked at a few different organizations, um, learning the ropes, doing equity analysis, fixed income analysis, and, and as you mentioned, some volatility as trading as well. Um, always found those things intellectually interesting, but for a variety of reasons, I continued to move on from those organizations. Um, while they were interesting intellectual pursuits, again, at the time, at least, I thought those weren't my passions. So then I went to business school thinking I'd make a career shift, but then found Morton Capital um, and joined Morton Capital, which has a real, really different approach, where they um, are unconstrained in their investment approach and really can go anywhere and looking for investments. And for me, that was really an invigorating environment to be a part of, uh, where, again, just not satisfied with the status quo, always looking to push boundaries in terms of how to get better. And so that's how I ended up here. And that's, I've been here a while. Okay. So talk, you started to allude to it. Let's dive in a little bit more. 
What is it that you think differentiates Morton from other RIAs and investment firms? Yeah, and a lot of it is related to the investments, but maybe maybe even taking a step back, um, can I walk you maybe through our process, how we work with our clients? That'd be awesome. Um, it should, it'll just take maybe a minute or two, and it really ends on on our strategy with regards to our investment approach. But when we engage with clients, there are really three core beliefs that guide us through our process. The first is that as a firm, we really want nothing more than to help our clients get the most life out of, our, out of their wealth. That's really our mission. Uh, we think that a focus on life should actually come before wealth. So we spend a lot of, our, lot of time with our clients uncovering what a wealthy life uniquely means to them. And then we manage their wealth in line with that purpose. It's this first step, it's really important because when clients view their wealth as more than a number and really discover what a wealthy life means to them, that's when they become truly engaged in the process. That's the first step. That leads to our second belief, which is that investing starts with investing in yourself. It's really this engagement and commitment to investing in yourself that we think is the key to long-term success in investing. So that means spending the time to truly define the meaning behind your wealth, as, as I just discussed in the first point, but also learning about investments, which then takes us to our third core belief, uh, which is we, we really take a lot of time educating our clients about the untold truths of investing. This, it's a challenging investment environment where basically bonds are yielding virtually nothing and stocks we believe are very expensive. So we have really real concerns about what a traditional 60-40 portfolio, you know, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. We think that type of portfolio is fraught with risk going forward. So long-winded answer to getting to the question you asked, we invest heavily in asset classes beyond stocks and bonds tr to truly diversify and de-risk client portfolios. And really the end goal of, of these three core beliefs that I walk you through is we hope to empower our clients to enjoy their lives. And if we can partner with our clients to accomplish that, then that's what we would define as success for our organization. Awesome. Now, how does that come into play? Uh, because uh, you've, you've defined the core beliefs that you stand for, um, but how does that look in terms, uh, how does that look different in terms of what investment choices you offer? And because I mean, you work with some non-traditional asset classes that typically speaking, most RAs don't touch because they'll say we can't get paid on it. So we can't help you with it. Or their compliance department can't regulate it. So talk a little bit about that. It is. There's a lot of extra work. Um, and you hit on one quick thing that I'll mention. Yes, we don't get paid on it. We've, the only fee we make as a fiduciary is the fee we charge our clients uh, based on our advice and assets under management. Uh, but I think maybe a way to relate it is an analogy that we sometimes use is we liken ourselves and our investment approach to a farm to table, excuse me, a farm to table restaurant as opposed to a traditional steakhouse. So, you know, maybe at a traditional steakhouse, you'll get meat and potatoes and maybe a side of vegetables. And that's, you know, stocks and bonds, maybe with a little sprinkling of commodities or meats. For us- Sure, and even that might be done with an ETF. Exactly, exactly. Versus us, more of a farm to table approach, the chef will go out to the marketplace, 
and really select the ingredients based on truly what's in season. And that's how we look at investments, where we look at the environment, the economy, different asset classes, are they cheap or expensive? And there are a lot of different asset classes to choose from, stocks and bonds being two of them, but many others as well. And we will design a portfolio based on, again, the environment and what's in season and mix and match those asset classes accordingly. Okay, so let's talk about um, an example. How do you help clients make, uh, you know, because a lot of affluent folks own real estate beyond their primary residence. So how do you help in that department? Sure. Well, so uh, I will start with real estate because real estate is one of our core asset classes that we've invested in over the years. And real estate takes a lot of different forms. So over the years, we've invested in anything from apartment buildings to student housing facilities to storage to nursing homes, you name it. And again, sometimes certain of those asset classes are more in season than others. Um, so that's a starting point. A lot of, a lot of ability to target different sub-asset classes within real estate. But secondly, you can really turn, dial up or dial back uh, the aggressiveness or more conservative nature of real estate based on where you want to be in the capital structure. So what I mean by that is, let's rewind back to let's say 2009, 10, 11, coming out of the crisis, real estate was very cheap. And so we decided to take on a more risk on approach, meaning we bought a lot of, through, a par through partners, uh, we bought a lot of multifamily properties across the country. Those did very well from us, but that's a higher risk return approach because when you buy real estate, typically you put on leverage. Fast forward to, let's say three, four, five years ago, as real estate kept getting more and more expensive, we decided to take our foot off the gas and instead of buying real estate, we took on more of a lending approach, a more conservative approach. So similar to a bank, we're not a bank, but similar to a bank, how, what does that look like? We lend on real estate, we're in first position, meaning we own the keys if the borrower does not make their payments on that real estate. So a much more conservative approach, you're not shooting for as high returns, more consistent returns with regular cash flow. Um, but again, in this environment, we think that's a little safer. One last point I'll make on that, just to give uh, listeners a sense of what that looks like. Different from a bank, the partners that we work with, we're not lending 80% of the value of a property. We're lending something closer to like 60% of the value of a property. So on a $10 million project, we're lending 6 million as opposed to 8 million. So a lot of room for error if, if property values come down. And also these are not long-term loans. A uh, bank might lend five, 10 years. We're not lending that long. We're lending you know, maybe for 12 to 18 or 24 months. So more conservative in that fashion as well. Understood. Now, you mentioned that your fee is the fiduciary. So how do you, are you actually not getting paid on the real estate and you're just advising anyway because it's in the client's best interest? And then how does that reflect in the client agreement? Yeah, um, good question. So yeah, in essence, it's very, fairly simple. Like most registered investment advisors, we just simply charge as a percentage of assets under management. We typically manage a fully diversified portfolio with lots of different asset classes, including stocks, bonds, and real estate. And no matter what those asset classes are, we are just going to charge our standard fee based on a formula of their assets under management. So whether we do a lot of work in sourcing these real estate investments, we're often 
we really partner with a lot of these real estate groups. I'm on the advisory board, for instance, of a number of these organizations, spend months of work uncovering these opportunities. We're paid the same as if we just allocate to a mutual fund in the client account as well. So you're counting the real estate as an asset under management, but it's just obviously not sitting in an account with you. Exactly. That, that's exactly right. But it's on their, in essence, Morton Capital. Balance sheet. Exactly. When we look at their total investable network. Got it. And how have you gotten the message? So you are different on the investment side in that you're providing advice on investments that traditionally wouldn't be counted or advised upon by a traditional RIA. So how have you gotten the message about that out? And how has that resonated with clients and prospects? You know, that's a great question, um, and that's an evolving process. We've been around a long time, so I joined the firm in 2004, but actually been around a long, lot longer than that. Uh, the, the firm was formed in 1981, and this is so much of the DNA of the firm is investing beyond stocks and bonds. So as far back as the 1980s, we as a firm were investing in real estate asset classes and other asset classes for our client portfolios. So we have a real brand, especially in the local community of, of clients, investors who, who know what we do and know our expertise, but then also nationally we're recognized. So we manage about $2 billion in assets under management, about a thousand clients. So while we're small, small enough to be opportunistic and um, niche in that regard, we are large enough and nationally recognized that we've been doing this long enough that alternative investment managers, real estate experts, other asset classes, they're knocking on our door every day, pitching us their latest investment idea. Um, so we, if anything, we see too much in the way of investment ideas and have to weed through all of that. Well, having a good vetting process is just as important as having good deal flow. Yes. What we, I mean, you've grown to 2 billion what are some of the ways you're bringing clients in the door in today's environment? Because obviously, I don't know if you did seminars last year, but you certainly can't do them the way you used to now. It's a great question. Uh, boy, I mean, it's just so much has changed, obviously, in the, in the last few months. Um, like a lot of us, we've embraced technology. Um, I'm talking to you on Zoom right now. Uh, it's, it's just been a wonderful tool for all of us. But we've, we've really embrace technology in a lot of ways. A couple of examples is we've really enhanced our webinars. So we do lots of webinars for our clients, everything from quarterly commentary on the economy to more specific updates on individual investments. So we're regularly reaching out to our clients much more than they were in months past where we were relying on face-to-face -face client meetings. Sure. Um, that's one simple example. Of late, we've also had some client roundtables where we've gotten, where we've brought together, let's say, 10, 20, 30 clients in a Zoom room and, and discussed a topic. It could be investments, it could be our outlook on the economy, it could be a financial planning topic on, let's say, estate planning or, you know, insurance reviews, you name it. So that's been a way where we've uh, brought people together when we're all isolated in our, in our homes. So those are great connection strategies. How are you bringing new folks in the door? How are you marketing Martin Capital? So the, the main way in the we, kind of as a natural segue with technology is we've been much more active in social media um, than we were even just a year or two ago. With all of the content in particular that we're 
employing with webinars, et cetera, um, we're using that content. Uh, and we think a lot of it is very original content given our view of the world and alternative approach to on social media, various platforms from Facebook, Instagram, but most importantly, LinkedIn. And our advisors are, are splicing and dicing various video segments on LinkedIn and connecting accordingly. Awesome. What do you like best about what you do? What do I like best about I, what I do? That's a great question. Um, and really, it comes down to a couple things. I would say, I'll break it down between external, how we approach our clients, and then internal, how we work with our team. Externally, what I love is that we're never satisfied with the status quo. It's just the culture of our firm that we're always striving to be better, always pushing the boundaries of what we do. We're not complacent. So that's just a real invigorating thing to be a part of. It's an exciting culture to be a part of. Um, again, we're always striving to find better investments for our clients and more services that we can provide for our clients that all add value. That's fun. It's fun, it's fun to do that on a daily basis. And then internally, um, just really love working with our team. Uh, we have 45 people here. Uh, last couple years in a row, we've won one of the best places to work in our organization. It's just a, a very collaborative environment where we're all rowing in the same boat, in the same direction together. Um, and that's just a real enjoyable thing to be a part of. Absolutely. Now, over the years, you've not only broken the 100 million barrier, the 500 million, the billion, the $2 billion mark, uh, crushing the plateaus that normal RIAs run into. With all of that success, what's your biggest challenge now? You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, we have, over the last few years, moved from, in all honesty, more of a mom and pop organization when we had 15, 20, 25 people to more of an, an institution. Um, so really institutionalizing the business, what, what, there were some growing pains that we went through over the last few years. Night and day, a 15-person organization between a 45-person organization. At a 15 or 20-person organization, everyone wears lots of hats. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing uh, because we're all right next to each other and communicating. Fast forward to an organization of our size, you have much more in the way of specialization, um, you know, in terms of departments really specializing in what they do. Um, so that's been a big investment we've made in the firm and it's still evolving. It, I think we've done a wonderful job at it, but it is something that's still evolving. So working through how departments communicate with one another, technology integration between those departments, it's just been a big push for our organization. And again, while I think we've done a really wonderful job of it, it's, it's a never ending process for us. Can you talk a little bit about that team structure of those 45 folks? What are the different departments? How many people may come up? Can you give us a little insight there? Yeah, as a starting point, we obviously have advisors who work with clients and our advisors work in advisory teams. So very traditional in our industry, it's more of what's known as a silo approach where often a client and an advisor work one-on-one. -on -one. And maybe that advisor has some support, but when push comes to shove, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. We have expanded that so that our advisors work on teams of either three or four advisors. So that a client 
doesn't only have one contact point, but truly has three or four advisors on their team that they can reach out to. So that's one aspect that, of the team approach. Secondly, then, um, we have a number of teams that specialize in their various areas. So we have an investment team, as an example. We have a trading team. We have a whole financial planning department because we have a very robust financial planning uh, process. We have a compliance team. So the whole goal of that, all of that expertise, is to free up the time for advisors so they're not doing all of those things so they can do what they do best, which is spend time with their clients and strategize on behalf of their clients. And then talk, I know Morton goes beyond the money in other ways besides assets. Talk a little bit your charitable involvement. Yeah, um, we are, throughout our history, we've been very charitably inclined, um, especially throughout the local community. Uh, but with, with what happened with the quarantine and COVID, um, it was really interesting. Our, our advisors in particular, while they were very, working very hard through the, especially the February, March timeframe where the markets were very volatile, um, they still wanted to do more, even though they were working overtime hours. Um, they came together and as a collective voice said, we really want to reach out to the local community and help in this time of need. People are losing their jobs, businesses are threatened. How can we help? So we came together and launched a give back initiative where in essence, and we really actually partnered with our clients in this, where we, we told our clients, we'd love to help people in the local community who maybe can't afford our services. And so do you have family members? Do you have friends? who maybe lost their job, need some financial planning advice. And we'd love to provide them some free uh, advice where they can meet with their advisor, with an advisor for an hour or two. And so we launched that initiative a few months ago and it's just been wonderful. It's been really well received by the local community, but in many ways, most importantly, it's just been wonderful for our team where they feel like, you know, it's getting beyond just our nine to five and helping our clients, we could really go out to the community and help others in this time of need. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense and is a beautiful thing. We're recording this during the fall of the COVID pandemic. Uh, I'm not asking for any specific investment advice, obviously. What are you telling clients now in regards to your outlook, market environment, pre-election jitters, that type of stuff? Um, as a starting point, we definitely, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, obviously that's the case. Uh, and we definitely have thoughts on what the markets look like going forward. All that being said, we, we have no crystal ball. Our crystal ball is no better than anyone else's. Um, there are so many unknowns with regards to the way things can go, whether with the election, whether what a vaccine ultimately looks like, the direction of the Fed and interest rates. There are just so many unknowns that I know a lot of, uh, it's the most common question we get from clients or prospects, what's gonna happen in the next 12 months? And again, while we have thoughts on that, we think the focus should not be on those uncertainties. We think that's misplaced energy in a lot of ways. Instead, acknowledge that there's a lot of uncertainties and then invest accordingly. And so that's really our approach, is designing a more resilient portfolio that to some degree, almost no matter which way the market turns, 
that portfolio will just have a wider runway, um, more safety nets, so that the portfolio will be insulated and more resilient, really, in all honesty, no matter which way the market or the economy goes. That's our ultimate goal. We've covered a lot in a short period of time. What else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Um, no, I appreciate that question. Um, I talked about our process with our clients, um, with, if you remember the three core beliefs. And I, I would say it all, so much of it, even though the focus in our industry is about the client experience, it really starts with our team and um, our internal culture and firm. And so we have three similar beliefs um, with regards to our organization. I mentioned that we want our clients to get the most life out of their wealth. Our goal is to, for our team members to get the most life out of their careers. Secondly, we, we ask, we tell our clients that investing starts with investing in themselves. Same with our team members. Our team members, we tell them investing starts with investing in themselves. We're lifelong learners as an organization, and we really encourage that type of learning and education. And then lastly, the last point uh, for clients was, if you remember talking about the untold truths of investing, we think there are some untold truths with regards to running a resilient organization. And what I mean by that is everything we learn in MBA school is, you know, it's very short-term focus. What are your quarterly numbers, your annual numbers? Um, we, we take a longer-term approach. We have a more of an infinite mindset, if you will, or long-term approach with our firm. And what does that mean? It means just continual investment in learning, in technology, hiring ahead of capacity, uh, not waiting till everyone's burned out, uh, having broad-based equity ownership. We have a lot of people with actual ownership in the firm. And it's hopefully all of these, these things that make us stronger as a company and empower our team members uh, to enjoy coming to work every day, which will ultimately hopefully benefit the clients. Awesome. Well, we know your time is incredibly valuable. You greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. This has been Seth Green for the Sharkpreneur RIA edition with Jeff Sardi of Morton Capital. Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free Perfect Pitch Cheat Sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>